G'day, Internet, and welcome to the Hair Force. It's This Week in Retro. High-resolution color graphics. This land of high technology. The revolution in technology that made the information age possible. Those kids are not afraid of computers. Returning to base. Mert rework. And the Book of Dreams. All this and more coming up in today's show. Up-to-date news for out-of-date tech. Hello, chaps. We've got a full house today. Yes, the whole Hair Force is here, including Chris, Dave, and our special guest this week. It's Jason, a.k.a. Mr. Lurch, a real Australian. Thank you for joining us, Jason. Not a problem. Um, need to kind of keep the real Aussiness going as opposed to the <laughs> fake ones. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Keeping it real down under. Um, how's your week been, Jason? Tell us what you've been up to this week. Um, this week has been recovering a lot from the show that we did. You might have seen it on mm-hmm. Twitter. We, uh, awesome. held, yeah, we held a big vintage computer expo here in Canberra, and that was a lot of work. So it's taken me, it's taken me a little while to recover, um, and slowly get all my machines back home again. Um, but other than that, I've just kind of been, I've been trying to chill this week, just trying to chill. Trying to relax. Okay. Well, if you don't know who Jason is and you're listening today, um, his channel's called Mr. Lurch's Things over on YouTube. And his latest videos, you can see, I think you did some extra behind the scenes footage of the computer show as well as your main video on it, didn't you? Yeah. Um, And you can also find lots of awesome history, deep dives, restorations. If you like the cave, you'll love Jason's channel. So you'll find a link in the show notes. Go and give him a subscription over there and enjoy what he does. Um, This week, I've been working on a restoration, and it's an unusual one for me because it's going to be a video in which I tried to restore something and fail miserably. Um, But we're just going to lay it all out there and show why, why we're unable to fix it and hopefully come up with a solution to push us forward. But it's a really interesting one, and it's probably the filthiest system that's ever come into the cave. It is covered... In I, I, I can relate. I can relate. Um, they're not all <laughs> successes. They're not all successes. No, no they're, they're not. not all successes. So it's good to show um, one of these ones I, in a while. I vaguely remember a uh, TRS-80 Model One that was oh, uh, gathering the- dust. <laughs> Gathering dust at the back of the shelf somewhere. Oh, it's still there, yeah. is it? <laughs> um, Dave, let's come to you. What have you been up to this week? This week, I have been still playing Knights of the Old Republic. I've been sucked into that. Can't stop myself. Every spare minute I get, which hasn't been a lot, I've been playing that. Um, sometimes I feel like a passenger in my own head. Whatever I want to do, that's what I have to do, and I don't have any choice about it. <laughs> wow, nothing wrong with that. And Chris is an unexpected addition this week because um, <laughs> we were expecting yeah. him to be stuck in meetings today. So um, he's managed to dive in at the last minute. He is effectively going to be a guest on his own show today. So he won't, yeah. won't be leading a story, but there's a story which I really think is going to take your interest, Chris. And mm. the, now that you're here, the, the show length may the well three double. Three of them. <laughs> well, three, <laughs> yeah. but there's one in particular. Yeah. Jason, did you have two, something to yeah. say there? You had your, you had your hand up. No, <laughs> just waving <laughs> along excitedly. Step away okay. from the camera. No, actually, well, I was actually gonna. I was gonna ask Dave. Um, Knights of the Old Republic is is like you mean like the original game from back in the day, or? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. 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 Um, I really like what they did with it, and you can see when you play Mass Effect, you can see where Mass Effect has come from. Mass Effect Knights of the Old Republic is their kind of first attempt at doing Mass Effect uh, within the Star Wars universe. It's really mm-hmm. good. It's that time. It's time for Dave's housekeeping. 
Is there any housekeeping to be had? We've had a review. So thank you very much um, to, um, I can't read it because it's so small, who did the review. So I I really appreciate that. What they said was, (laughs) I like this podcast. Rick D. Rick D. Thank you, Rick D. Um, I like this podcast. It's surprisingly hard to find a retro computer-based podcast without it either being American, recorded on AM radio, sound quality, or just full of gibbering idiots who who get everything wrong. And it continues, Mr. Lurch. Did you have something to say? The right well, show? No, I, I, giving I, idiots. I, I was, but um, so the reviewer's name was Rick D. Do I vaguely remember a very popular American radio top forty DJ by the name of that? Oh, that'll be one for our American listeners to chime have in to, with because I'm not familiar. Something like that. Anyway, yeah. it was just a name just rang a bill. That's all it was. Let's, let's just assume it's a celebrity that's reviewing Yeah, us. let's, let's yeah, go with definitely, that. Yeah. Definitely. It, it does finish off by saying, the bald host is definitely my favourite. Oh, yeah. Thank oh, you. thank you. <laughs> <laughs> we, had a, we had a submission to the subreddit, uh, which was a, a, a further information on the Atari 800XL story we had so who submitted that to subreddit neil oh um that might have been me this week but it it was i submitted it um not because i've i've picked it out to cover as a story this week just because it was an interesting mm. follow-up because we covered this yeah beautiful looking recreated all right it was 3d rendered but it looks like a beautiful project to recreate an atari 800 xl in all but name it was called something like the rm 800 or something like that and on the website, it's very clearly explained that it is inspired by the Atari 800XL. Got lots of Atari 8-bit fans excited. Uh, and then um, uh, I'm going to say unsurprisingly, a cease, to, a cease and desist letter appeared. It was shared on Twitter. Um, comes from Retro Games Limited, who are the people behind the A500 Mini. Um, Dave, you put your hand up there. Yeah, you see, unsurprisingly, I, I was surprised and yeah. disappointed that it came out. I would have thought when they said it's going to be on sale in 2024, I would have thought that the, the copyright and the, the permission to do it would be okay. already sorted by now. So oh, I, yeah, I'm surprised yeah, okay. that they got, yeah. so you made so what, they got what, this far. In, yeah. What has Retro Games got to do with it? Do they have, like they've done the, the mini, like the Commodore 64 and the image, are they... Have they just let the cat out of the bag that they're planning to do an Atari 8-bit mini? Mm, I Not don't know necessarily no. going to do that, but it would appear that they own the rights <clears throat> to the yeah. to this system. Um, so they're the they're probably they may be producing one. You know, we've got no information whatsoever to suggest that they may just be protecting their assets because <laughs> yeah, if so they, they let one get ridden roughshod over, then who's to yeah. say? You know, the, the Amiga won't be next or whatever. So you know, from so their point of view, I guess they've got to protect. What they um they say they yeah. own. They say the the cease and desist letter says that they own the eight and sixteen bit Atari, uh, and they also are licensed to use the word Atari in Poland. Now Poland's where the project is coming from, so it looks as if they're they're both they've got the they've got the rights to use Atari and they've also got the rights for the the eight and sixteen bits. So what when I initially saw this, I thought, oh, they've got permission they, they've they've negotiated the rights from the wrong people or 
they've negotiated rights from the wrong people, the right people, but these are the wrong people now saying that they own the rights, and it's going to be a little bit like the way it was with Amiga, where Cloanto and other various other different organizations all claim to own different parts of it. But it now looks to me as if they haven't or done they, that at all. And uh, the, the, yeah, I was about to say, or they just haven't organized the rights with anyone. Oh, that's what Which I is say. really disappointing. If that if that's what they've done, if they've done this project and just naively thought that they don't need to do that, then, oh. Yeah. It's been presented in a very professional fashion. I think that's why we assumed perhaps yeah. that they had jumped through the right hoops to get permission. Um, I'll just read the start of the, the letter for anyone who hasn't seen it. It's come from a solicitor's called uh, Clinton's. Hang on, we Neil. Act- Is there copyright on the letter? You oh, be careful no, I don't want to get in trouble. These days. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Karen. I don't on. think you can't. You can't. I don't think you can. Um, we act for the UK gaming design and manufacturing company Retro Games Limited, our client. As you may know, our client is and has been for many years the proprietor of rights to certain home computer designs. Our client is the exclusive global hardware partner with Atari, so exclusive global hardware partner with Atari for its 8-bit and 16-bit home computer products exclusive rights and our client also owns european union design registrations long numbers and long numbers copies attached uh, here to registered design rights we further note that our clients rights include the use of the trademark atari as registered in poland so um i don't think they've used the trademark atari other than to say inspired by atari which may well be enough when associated with an atari style computer uh but you can't really avoid that exclusive rights to atari's 8 and 16-bit home computer products um i don't i don't think there's much wriggle room there do you dave no however it, it isn't necessarily the end of it um it may be that they, they speak to these people and say look we want to bring this off the ground and, uh, and you own the, the rights to it and we, we'd like to pay for the rights. We'd like to work in partnership with you. I know that they they, they own the rights for, I think it was a C64, but they didn't make it. Someone else made it, I think, for them. So perhaps this is how it'll work. Yeah. It'd be lovely if it came out, though. It'd be lovely if it came out. But I yeah. can certainly understand why why the, the, the people that do legally own the rights wouldn't wouldn't want someone else to meet one. I mean, obviously they wouldn't because there's potential for it. Loads of millions of people had Atari 8-bit, so there's such a library for it. It's great. The I'm surprise sure for be... me is that, sorry, uh, is is that this came from um, uh, Retro Games Limited, no, yeah. not Atari. That that was bizarre. And the, and the other weird mm. thing to contemplate here is obviously they didn't have the rights for the name Commodore or Amiga, which is why they had to release the A500 Mini called oh, they the did. A500 Mini. No, no, the A500 Mini, they did have legal rights to the Amiga they, name. The why but it's not branded it? an Amiga. They, they literally the, didn't brand it an Amiga because they, they couldn't. They had, if you look, they had if rights you look on the back to use the, box, the ROMs. No, no, yeah. I, I've had I've had this uh, this discussion. Oh, okay, okay. When I was at Amiga Island. Um, uh, yeah, if you look at the back of the box, you'll see that they, they do have the rights to use the name. For whatever mm. reason, they chose not to, but it, it is all That's above board. Bizarre. Well, I'm going to I'm going to stick by the fact that I think they've let the cat out of the bag and they've actually got an, a, a mini Atari 8-bit on its way. <laughs> they may well um, do, but I don't. I can't I'm going to live being... in blissful ignorance. <laughs> they may well do, but I can't see it being produced to the to the standard that we were promised with this particular project mm. project because the A500 mini no, this is this mini are very much no. uh, built to to yeah, a price be a pie in a box. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, let, let's hope it still happens because it, it's a beautiful looking machine. It'd be a great thing for people to have, particularly if you did the 8-bit Atari when you grew up. This would be great. 
So let's hope it still happens. Well, I guess the other option is is they could maybe just rejig the project to get themselves out of trouble. That would be too easy. Then would it would it would it be <laughs> what it needs to be? It, it needs to be recognizably an eight hundred XL to sell to, for people to want it, but it needs to be not recognizably an eight hundred XL to get past copyright. So mm. it can't be both. Time will tell, but that that was yeah. uh, housekeeping. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> basically turned into our first story of the show. But that was housekeeping. Thank you, Dave. Anything else for housekeeping? No, on to your story, Neil. Let's get let's get pushed ahead. So, from a story that I submitted to uh, a story that oh, somebody called Double O Five Gamer submitted. I wonder who that could be. Um, they contributed this this story to the subreddit with the heading "Falcon Comes Back to Microprose." And um, it was nearly such a shame that you weren't here, Chris, to discuss it with me. But um, you are, so I hope everybody <laughs> is settled in comfortably because this could take a while. Um, so, and for people who aren't flight sim fans, it's okay. Microprose is is more than just flight sims, as, as we know. But of course, they've been making announcements in recent years as they rebuild their brand again for the current day so um let's before we go on uh, i think i know where dave sits on this I certainly know where chris sits on this jason are you a flight sim fan not the really hardcore ones you know like your microsoft flight simulator that kind of stuff i do like a good like arcade shooter style flight sims i think like you know your afterburner uh things like that um i remember very much struggling to get LHX running on our 486SX, things like that. But, yeah, that's that's kind of where I'm at when it comes to flight sims. Sure, so accessible flight sims. Um, LHX Attack Chopper was an awesome game. The first time I played that was on a monochrome laptop and the screen just updated so slowly. Everything was blurry. It was like night vision just in daytime missions. (laughs) Yeah. But it, it had a frame rate that blew my Amiga out of the water, so it just felt really yeah. cool to play it. And you could fly with the Osprey, which was like the is it the Osprey with the twin propellers? I think it was the Osprey. It might have been something yeah, else. but it was like yeah. it was a it was a slideshow sim. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Um, Dave, I think I'm right in saying not so much a fan unless it's in space. No, I, I do like a flight sim. I've played quite a few flight sims, but just not not anything like as much as you and Chris have played. Uh, I'm not uh, I'm not a flight sim aficionado, but I, I, I don't what's I don't know how to pronounce that word. I've seen it written aficionado. so many times. I'm not, I don't think I've ever aficionado. aficionado. There we go, yeah. aficionado. I don't go fishing for flight sims, um, but I have played <laughs> quite a few. I do like them, but I, I don't like the, I don't like the simulator part so much. I, I like more the combat and missions aspect mm. of it. That's fair. Yeah. Mm. Chris, Flight Sims, have you played them? Nah, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't play <laughs> games, I don't play Flight Sims. Yeah, love them. Love them to bits. Still do. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, you probably uh, like this. Uh, well, you you clearly like this announcement because you submitted it. So <laughs> it, it, it relates to the whole Flight Sim series for which... He uh, even wrote the title of the post on Reddit to perfectly slip into a podcast. He did, he did. <laughs> um, so it relates to the whole Falcon Flight Sim series, which they uh, acquired the rights to sell everything now from falcon through to falcon 4 dave is holding up a copy of falcon is that the mission pack on the right hand side yes that's mission pack one i haven't managed to get mission pack two yet but there we go oh look at that it's like a mirror the same wow it's like a mirror but is yours for the amiga or yours for the atari st uh guess yours is for the atari st just like mine because you went for the good version for the 
BBC Micro. No, it's for the Amiga. <laughs> the Amiga. Fair enough, so as fair well enough. as... Um, but, get, but go on, Dave. I'm going to drop a bomb on Neil this early. Oh. Um, Mirrorsoft. Yes. Spectrum Holobyte. It's oh, not we'll, Microprose. Oh, we'll come on to that. We'll come oh, on yeah, to that. Yeah, we will. Worry. Okay, okay. Well ahead of you. Yeah. Spoilers. Don't get us started. (laughs) So we're talking about Microprose in the modern day. They've got the rights back for Falcon to Falcon 4. They've also declared their appreciation and support for something called BMS, the BMS mod, which is a huge community effort over the decades to keep Falcon 4 um, updated, improved, iron out all of those original bugs when it first came out in its original release, which was in 1998. So 25 years of Falcon 4. Is Microprose the home of Falcon, Dave? Well, technically, no, as you've highlighted. So if we if we trace the series all the way back, it actually goes back to F-16 fighting Falcon in 1984. This was developed by Nexa Corporation, who would later merge to Spectrum Holobyte. And that particular game was published by ASCII Corporation for the MSX, which is probably why I've never played it. Um, an interesting thing about this out in this very first game is that it used sprites in a 3D space to show the enemy MiGs on the screen in exactly the same way that Chris Roberts did with Wing Commander uh, and also some of those LucasArts flight sims like Their Finest Hour and Battlehawks 1942. Isn't that also how Afterburner worked? Uh, well, Afterburner similar. was sprite scaling, so the world was all sprites, whereas right. this was a, a 3D world with sprites in, three, in 3D space, so that like it, it reduced the processing power needed to Black show detailed planes. Uh, yeah, I guess like Wolfenstein. Yeah, yeah. Oh, hang That's on. No, Wolfenstein was like two point five D, wasn't it? It wasn't. It wasn't really three D. Um, then in nineteen eighty seven, we got Falcon, the first Falcon for the Macintosh and the PC. This was developed by Sphere and uh, Rowan Software. Then ported it to the Amiga and ST in eighty eight and eighty nine. Published by Spectrum Holobyte, as Dave quite rightly pointed out, and also Mirrorsoft in the case of the Amiga and ST versions. If you've ever seen the US version of Falcon, it's a very different cover. Um, much more, I wouldn't say more serious looking, just different style. It's like a portrait instead of the landscape style boxes that you've got there. It's sort of purples and blacks. It's, it's very different. Uh, so there's no sign of Microprose just yet. Then we got Falcon AT, also known as Falcon 2 in 88 for the PC also published by Spectrum Holobyte. And now the game starts to build its reputation for accuracy and realism, sometimes too much realism. According to Compute Magazine, who joked, it seemed harder to fly than the real plane. Um, Yeah, I I don't think many of us are really in a position to directly compare what it's like to fly a Falcon to a, a video game, but that's what they thought. And it reviewed well anyway. It won numerous awards through that year. It now needs a minimum of a 286 to crunch all of the math. So Amiga and ST flight sim fans had to look elsewhere. Thank you, Dave, for an upgrade. Um, We'll carry on through the series, but Jason, Dave, Chris, can you remember any one game in particular? So, for example, this I couldn't play this on my Amiga. You needed a 286 PC. Was there any one game in particular that you lusted after but needed to upgrade your hardware to, to buy or even change your whole platform before you could actually play it? The biggest one for me was when I moved from the ST on to the PC. I love my role-playing games, my strategy games, and it was clear when I had the ST in the early 90s that the best place to be was on the PC. Um, <clears throat> Ultima 6 was the last role-playing game that I got on the ST, and it had the the complicated setup that Neil reminded me about that I'd forgotten all about, where you had to take 
the game disc that came and then create more expanded discs to use to play the game on, swapping the discs over. Ultima 7 didn't come out for the ST or the Amiga either, so I had to upgrade to a PC for it. And when I upgraded to the PC, it opened up the, the world of RPGs that just weren't there on the ST or, or in fact, the Amiga. Ultima Underworld, all sorts of other uh, strategy and role-playing games there. So that was the big upgrade for me. I don't remember upgrading afterwards to open the door for games. They were always playable. I was always in reach of them. They got better as I upgraded, but they were never really... The PCs were, ever, were never so far behind. The games weren't playable. Right, so you were not on the cutting edge, but in the current generation at all times to be able to play yeah, things, yeah. except for maybe the occasional thing like um, in the case of Flight Sims, there was one called, um, it was Jane's, Jane's something or other. Chris, help me out here. Jane's. Addiction. Mm, Jane's. Jane's something. We'll come back to that. But really? it, it required a Pentium. It had a huge amount of texture mapping and a high resolution, and it just chugged on my PC. I thought I had a good PC, but it chugged. So I had to wait. Um, so that was a, a little bit out of reach for me. But uh, yeah, Jason, any any games come to mind for you? Well, actually, referring back to LHX, because I remember when we first got a copy of it, acquired it, um, I'm pretty sure we actually still had our 286 at the time. Um, now, the, if I remember correctly, the basic system recommendations for um, LHX was actually an XT. Like, yeah, good luck. Um, but you know, we tried to get it running on the two eight six, and that just wasn't going to happen. And then we upgraded to our four eight six SX, and it was actually playable. Um, and then that's when, um, and it's the only time my father went out and spent money on a game. Um, and we he went out and bought uh, Secret Weapons of the Luftwaffe, um, which was a LucasArts. That's right. This was another example of one that used sprites in the 3D space. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so kind of related, but yeah, that was, and that led on to buy, get it, my father getting secret weapons, um, which I've actually, I think I've got a copy of it here somewhere. They were great games, the LucasArts ones. It was a really good balance between arcade and and simulation. Really good. Um, Mm. the game I was trying to think of was Jane's US Navy Fighters. That was the one that was quite taxing on my system at the time. Um, Chris, anything Was that possibly related to... Isn't there like an omnibus of aircraft, which is Jane's aircraft something? Yeah, Jane's was like a publication, wasn't it, about aircraft, I think. And then they did a whole series of tie-ins. So there was H-64D Longbow. There was the World War II Fighters F-15, F-18. There were lots of Jane's simulations. But it was US Navy fighters that really got me because it was... was, um, uh, Tomcats and and um, aircraft carriers trying to land on the carrier. Yeah, it took me back to my F eighteen Hornet days in the Amiga, which Chris will relate to. Dave had Danger Zone playing in the background. Yeah, always. Were you fond of jeans? Was I fond of jeans? Oh, <laughs> oh dear! <laughs> Squeezing in a Jane Fonda joke there. Well done, Dave. Very um, current. Very, very current. Um, Chris, did you have to upgrade at all to uh, play anything? 
all, all the time. Um, and funnily enough, it's always around. Well, at the time, it was it was around the topic of flight sim. So going from the Spectrum to the Amiga, um, obviously there are only a few games that were across the two, like Carrier Command, for example. And seeing the graphics in the computer shop, the local independent computer shop, megabytes of what the Amiga could push out for flight sims, just had to have one and couldn't wait. Um, you know, to get get flying in a, in a nice smooth flight simulator. But it's also the very genre that pushed me out of the Amiga towards the end of my time with it because a, a different local computer shop, uh, Wizbit, um, had basically told me that if Wizbit. I wanted to... Yeah, yeah, Wizbit. Was it Wizbit? <laughs> yeah, yeah, Wizbit. I'm sure it was Wizbit. Um, but they, they, um, they suggested that, that to get things like F-15 Strike Eagle 2 running nice and smooth, that I should upgrade to an Amiga 2000. Now, I didn't know much about the big box Amigas at the time, but it was sort of, okay, there's that. How much does that cost? That's very expensive. Then started looking at, you know, PCs, and that's what started my lust into PCs was this promise of better, smoother flight sims, and it was mainly micropros at the time that were across both platforms. Um, and the irony is once I jumped to PC... I think I got a hooky copy of one of the early flight sims that was, you know, way, way old on my PC, even though it was a U386DX, was more than capable of that. Gunship 2000, as um, I recently played with again, um, is actually a bit disappointing on on that level of of PC, but I, I loved it at the time. I didn't know any better. And other than TFX... I really didn't touch flight sims. It's almost as if I'd, I'd had I'd flight simmed out by that point. So I'd, I'd upgraded, I'd changed, literally swapped platform for the want of better flight sims, and then stopped playing them. And I think Doom is partially to to blame for that blame because for that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, first person shooters and never look back. Well, if you under any illusion or any doubt as to how into his retro flight sims Chris is, if you watch one of his more recent videos on his 005 Agame YouTube channel, he times how long it takes to fly from, <laughs> is it Alcatraz to the Golden Gate Bridge? Yes. And then um, compares it to modern day flight sims and real world statistics to see how accurate the Amiga is in its yes. in its time. That will have well, literally come that. out we'll yesterday. Yeah, that would literally come out yesterday. Oh, yes. On the edge of my seat watching that, Chris. Watching the (laughs) three frames per second of the Amiga chug across to the Golden Gate Bridge. No, it's not that bad. It's better. That was a a stock Amiga, wasn't it, that you filmed that? That was, yeah. That was a revisiting of another video I did. But, yeah, no spoilers. It's it's an update to a topic I'm very interested in, yeah. Well, we'll get back onto the the Falcon series and we come onto Falcon 3, which did not appear on the Amiga. Um, and this is where we do see the Micropro's name appear on the box in Europe. So Spectrum Holobyte continued to be the publisher in North America. Why? Well, because Spectrum Holobyte had bought Micropro's um, in 1993 and then would transition into using the Micropro's brand for future releases in the series. So it's still that transitional period. Falcon 3 took the realism up to another level again. It claimed to have flight dynamics from a real military sim but to enable the high fidelity flight mode you needed a maths co-processor to to get the full brute force out of your machine and as a minimum recommended spec we're into 486 33 megahertz territory here so um uh, that I did have, I either had a 25 or a 33 486, and I remember, yeah, Falcon 3 did chug along a little bit for me. I had to turn the detail down. Um, and the the thing that struck me when I when I did see it um, in magazines in the earlier days was, as I still had my Amiga, I was flying around a solitary pyramid in Birds of Prey. That was the landscape, a flat plane and a pyramid. 
And then in Falcon 3, in the magazine, I could see valleys, I could see hills, I could see textured landscapes. It, it felt like it was right on the cutting edge of what home computers could be pushed to do. And I, and I really did want it quite badly. Um, the story continues when Hasbro bought Microprose in 1998. And this was just a few months before the heavily delayed Falcon 4 was released. And then uh, moving forward again, the Microprose brand would be passed to Infograms who also owned the Atari brand name, I believe. Um, yep. And then they phased the Microprose They are Atari now. All together. Yeah, so Microprose was kind of swallowed into Atari and then phased out. And Falcon 4 was, was something of a beast. It, it wasn't without its fair share of bugs. But over the years, this community helped to shape it into the game that it was meant to be and then far beyond, to the point where a 25-year-old flight sim is entirely playable good looking and enjoyable to play today using the power of a modern pc it's it's fantastic how well it's evolved which is i guess testament to the code base underneath it eventually the microprose brand would find its way into the ownership of a chap called david Leggetti. in 2018 he teamed up with original co-founder bill steely who was a pilot himself back in the days on his warbird series of flight sims and then 2019, that's when we start to get the big news and I started getting all excited about the revival of Microprose and all the promises they were making. Somewhere as well along that journey, the other Microprose co-founder, Sid Meier, um, he would get the rights to his Railroad Tycoon Pirate Civilization all back under his control from Atari. So that that was um, Fire Axis Games, is it? I think he worked for something yeah. like that. Um, so that's probably why we will never see those names under this current Microprose brand unless they find a way to buy them all out again. But those are pretty hefty brands, aren't they? Civilization in particular, that's got to carry a certain value to it. So let's get back to the question of home. Technically, Falcon's home isn't really Microprose at all, but we associate the name so heavily with the game because it sent, spent a significant portion of its life with the Microprose name on the box. It is a game with one of the oldest code bases in gaming history out there, up there with Microsoft Flight Sim in terms of its longevity. And it's remembered fondly both for its technical achievements, but also its accessibility. Yes, it was a difficult and realistic game, but you could tone down that difficulty and you could find it accessible in ways that I remember being, I don't know, maybe I just had more free time, but I remember it being more accessible than, for example, if you try and jump into a modern day flight sim like DCS World now, which is extremely difficult even on the easiest settings and requires um, a lot of dedication and time to really get the best out of it. I don't remember it being quite that difficult. Um, certainly wasn't an arcade game. So guys, Micro Microprose's heritage is far more than Falcon, but it's another name to add to the list for the revived brand, along with Carrier Command, which they did a sequel to, B-17 Bomber, which they announced, Microprose, where is my B-17? And uh, new games that they've brought out new, with new names that follow the theme of Sims and strategy games. What do we make of the Microprose revival so far? Will we be revisiting Falcon? Dave, let's start with you. So no surprise, but I'm a Microprose fan. That's why I've got the Microprose T-shirt on. But it's not mm -hmm. the flight sims I'm there for. Um, it's things like Civilization. Yeah. Um, Master of Orion. Um, a 4X game. Um, Just tell us about that. That's not what. That's not one I've played, Masters of Orion. So Master of Orion is a 4X game. Explore, exploit, exterminate, expand. Um Civilization kind of in space, uh, oh, okay. where you, you you pick a civilization and you go through 
huge technological trees, advancements, designing ships, trying to conquer places, very much civilization in space. So, and they also came out with some of my other favorite games, UFO, Enemy Unknown, uh, kind of the XCOM games, Terror from the Deep, uh, and another one people don't know quite so much is Master of Magic, which is it's a bit like Heroes of Might and Magic. Um, but it's actually a better game, I think. They come out with absolutely some wonderful games, but almost every game has outlived Microprose. They've all the, the, the franchises have continued. So for micro, for me, for the the Microprose revival, I don't think they're going to get those brands back on uh, based on what the scale they are. So they would have to come out with something something new along those lines. I might play. I mean, I, I'm not ruling out that I'll play Falcon. I might take the notion for it. I mentioned at the start. It depends what uh, depends which direction my head goes in, whether I want to play it or not. I do like a flight sim, but I haven't played one for years. But for me, uh, and you've got a yoke the now, Dave. Revival. You've got mm-hmm. a yoke now. You've got to try a flight sim with your yoke. I know, I know. I've got a yoke. Um, no yoking about with that. Um, I've got several flight sticks as well. I can see myself buying one of those Hotas things if I can get it for the price that Chris got it for. <laughs> um, but I, for for me, the Microprose revival isn't as exciting as it is for you, Jason. Any thoughts on Microprose? Um, look for me. Microprose, when I think Microprose, I actually think um, uh, like Formula One Grand Prix oh, yeah. uh, on the Amiga. Um, it's, for me at least, it's one. that's one of those games I'm working on Amiga. It's like one of the first games because like, it will run on pretty much anything. Um, so when I think Microprose, I always think that intro screen to Formula One Grand Prix, that's where my head's at when it comes to Microprose. Yeah, I, I love when you load up Grand Prix. It's got the jankiest knockoff version of the chain um, as its intro music, which was the, the the intro music for the Formula One uh, on the BBC over here. It, it was a, it, that that tune was just completely associated with Formula One when the when the fast bit of the chain um, by Fleetwood Mac kicks in. So uh, when you load that game, it's got a really janky cover version of it. That uh, is absolutely not the chain, but is. Um, Chris, microprose. Do we need to uh, go and make a cup of tea while you talk on the subject of microprose flight sims? Um, well, I'm literally just buying the Falcon collection right now, pay with PayPal um, off of GOG. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's when you're discussing well, Falcon 3, you got it is as well, but I actually prefer yeah. GOG because I like to have the installer. Um, but. Um, yeah, it's interesting. As you were talking up Falcon 3, Falcon 3 for me was a game that I remember wanting back in the day and then never get around to having because I didn't have a powerful enough PC. And then when I did, well, by that time it was old and I'd sort of moved in because I jumped from a, a dodgy used 386 to a dodgy used 486 to a Pentium. And by that point, you know, I'm playing Quake, I'm playing Duke Nukem 3D, I'm playing Carmageddon. And Falcon 3 was the last thing I was thinking about. Um, but I do really want to have, even if it's you know through through a GOG version, I really want to have a play with that. Um, in terms of being excited about this news, I'm glad you've explained how Microprose fit in because you know I wasn't really aware of that piece of the history, um, probably because I never got my hands on Falcon 3. Um, and for me, I, I do worry about, look, I hope they do, let's, let's give them the benefit of the doubt. I, I hope they do something interesting with the IP rather than just going, hey, we own that and we want the money for every sucker that clicks 
buy it now on GOG and Steam and just, you know, which is fine. You know, if they use that cash to inject into other projects, guess what? That's fine as well. But, I mean, you look, when you look at things like um, Tiny Combat Arena, that looked exciting, um, like a new flight sim with the old-style flat shade graphics and a nice, easy accessibility that looked like it was fun. But it doesn't seem to have gone anywhere, and there's no multiplayer aspect to it yet still. Um, and so I just want them to do more with the IP that they've got because I think there's a lot of potential there. So, yeah. Yeah, multiplayer was first introduced in the series with um, Falcon, I think, 2. Uh, with mm. on the two eight sixes, you could link up and play against each other. So that, that's very much a part of its DNA, and you would hope to see some multiplayer in any future versions of Falcon. But I can't see them putting the effort into into a new version of Falcon. Although I, saying I that, why saying would that, you? Well, saying that they do, they have got this three D engine that they're using for things like Carrier Command and B seventeen and various other games. They're, they're sort of reusing mm. this engine at least I think they're reusing this engine, which is how they're turning out a lot of these quite complex games. So maybe they would, but could it ever be as good as the supposed military spec flight sim of Falcon's Heritage? I don't know. Remains to be seen. And they're up against DCS and, and that kind of oh, thing. Yeah. You know, there's big competition out there now. Yeah, and Microsoft Flight Sim and all the rest of it. But um, if you want to see what Microprose has planned, you can check them out at microprose.com forward slash games, where you can find the Falcon series as well as numerous mentions of the old and new B-17 game, which is promised and never seems to arrive. Where is my B-17 Microprose? But in the meantime, um, yeah, I'm going to, like Chris, I'm going to grab a copy of Falcon 4, whether it's on GOG or on Steam with all the add-ons and all the trimmings. There'll be no patching. There'll be no looking for my original CDs to get this thing up and running. I don't even have a CD drive in my modern PC, so it wouldn't even be possible. But um, yeah, and, and maybe, Chris, I'll, maybe I'll bump into you up there. Mm. We are sponsored by Pixel Addict Magazine. And Neil's put a question in the show notes, which we have covered. Um, do we figure out what you call Six Weekly? And I confirmed last week that it comes out every 8.7 weeks. So it's oh. 8.7 weeklies uh, okay. magazine. Uh, Pixel Addict magazine is a monthly lifestyle magazine uh, that comes out every six weeks. You can buy it in the shops. You can buy it in news agent. You can order it online to be delivered, and you can buy it as a PDF. Jason, have you read Pixel Addict magazine? Have you heard of it? So in a recent article, uh, in, sorry, in a recent issue, there was an article, and it, Seems to be a part one of um, a series of the on the BBC Micro, um, and this first uh, particular uh, article goes into as uh, far as I can tell where they're heading with this is like what can you do with the BBC Micro on the modern modern day? Um, so it starts to tick off a few things that you kind of you want to do if you've you know just picked up a BBC Micro at the off eBay or the local car boot sale or whatever it is. I am pleased to say that step number one was replace the reefer caps in the PSU. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and the the second bit was getting video out of the thing. Now, they, I think in the article, they used, um, you know, those, I think it's the Flylink SCART yeah. to HDMI upscale. It's kind of the one we all started with. Um, yeah. Neil's looking a bit confused. I'm sure you know the one I'm talking about. Little black box. Little yeah. black yeah, box. No, I know, I know what you're talking big... about. Yeah, yeah, it's all good. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah. Right, fair enough. No, I'm just okay. confused. No, I'm just thinking 
he read he, he has read it normally we ask have you read no, an article have. and we get blank looks but no okay c- 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 carry I, on i did my homework it's thank ruined, you ruined our joke dave <laughs> <laughs> sorry <laughs> go and buy the magazine and you two can talk about it just like jason has i have Mine arrived, yeah. by the way. Thank I you. went up to the news agent. They forgot to ring me, and it was there waiting for me in a folder with my name on it, along with How the media How is that? I was you so got, pleased. You, you order a magazine, then you wait for the news agent to ring you, on the landline, I hope, and then you have to <laughs> ride your bicycle up there to get it. I need to change my number to the landline number. <laughs> Morse code. Tele- he gets a telegram. Yeah. <laughs> your magazine's arrived. We should probably throw in there. With it. Uh, Carry the pigeon. Uh, pixel.addict.media we should probably throw that in there oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Pixel. You media. out more about the magazine subscribe get digital copy get physical copy pixel.addict.media tell them we sent you if you've listened to this show before then you'll know that i love exploring new worlds i'm in good company i think we all like exploring worlds now back in 1985 paul wokes created a game called mercenary in this game, you've crash-landed on Targ, a planet at war, and you have to try and escape while making money. It's all done in proper 3D, and it does have a bit of a flight sim feel to it. And there's a wonderful uh, fan site, the Mercenary site, and I've taken this description from it because it's, it's so well done. First known sightings of Mercenary begun in 1984, described as a demo of a basic flight simulator above a city made by Paul Wokes with the idea of later allowing landing and walking around. Paul was demonstrating it for advice in Birmingham shops or the Bug Computer Club. To turn it into a game, he got help by Bruce Jordan, who designed objects and rooms. Gary Walton from the Bug Club designed most of the city buildings. And Peter Patchler designed a loading screen. As for many games, there are probably many other inputs which seem to have been credited with buildings' names. The first press previews describe a game where the player has to leave his colony craft to get some supplies from the planet, so that it seems the escape story was added later. It's a great game. It's really, it's a really early example of uh, an open world game. I'm sure there will be ones that came before it, but it's the it's one of the earliest ones that I know of. Um, I didn't play Mercenary. It was Mercenary Two called Damocles that I played my Atari ST. I loved exploring it, although it was a very empty game. There's not not many people to interact with, so a little bit eerie. But the idea on that one was that you were exploring uh, a planet called Eris, where a comet called Damocles was about to crash into it, and you had to come up with a way to save Eris from Damocles. There were various different solutions to it, not just blowing up the comet. You could change the orbits. You could do all sorts of things. So it was it was great in the terms of an, an open world game. Um, and thanks to DJ Hoffman for his submission, we now know that there's a homebrew remake of Mercenary. Um, Vitslav Havlock, uh, Havlek, I'm sure I pronounced that incorrectly, so my apologies there, uh, has created one that runs on Windows, Linux, and Mac. It has enhanced graphics and it's nice and smooth, so no more two or three frames per second, but it keeps all the aspects of the original game. I've had a quick look and it's still got that wonderful text scrolling noise that all the games have as the text scrolls on. It's really iconic for that series of games. Now, Neil, are you a fan of Paul Woods games? And apart from his games, what's your favourite open world game? 
I am a fan of Paul Wokes and his games, and um, it was a very sad day when he when he passed on. He's no no longer with us because his games were such a part of my childhood. Um, <clears throat> oddly, I didn't discover Mercenary until I had my Amiga, so I actually entered it in the 16-bit world and then later found, oh, this was very much an 8-bit game, and I could have been playing it on my Amstrad, but it, it just passed me by somehow. But um, it never felt like an 8-bit game on my Amiga. It just felt like a big open world to explore with a, a a story that I never completed. I just kind of ambled around aimlessly, collecting objects, finding different vehicles, going from place to place. Um, I think I must have had an original copy because I think I had a map with it, which really helped. So when I jumped into this new one, the first thing I looked for was the map. I don't know if there's a button in the game to make the map appear, but I, if there is, I couldn't find it. Um, but yeah, it felt very um, authentic to the original. The only thing that caught me off guard was, yes, you had the nice sort of beeps and bloops of the text appearing. But at the start, when it's doing the intro, there was this kind of Eurovision, Eurobeat style music started playing did you hear that dave when you tried it i thought that was okay i liked that yeah it just surprised me (laughs) where's that come from but then it quickly disappeared Uh, what are you holding up there dave is it a boxed copy yes a boxed copy of of the the, the amiga compendium version yeah so mercenary and escape from or escape is it escape from or escape to second mercenary escape from targ is the name of the game and the second city is the expansion the second city that's right so i remember playing that like you i remember very fondly playing damocles so the original game was wireframe damocles introduced fully shaded 3d which was a nice step forward um a little bit more detail people had eyes and things like that They, they still look like robots but um I did. I did pick up a copy of that recently, Dave, to put on my shelf. Just, I just had had to have an original copy. Had the original Mercenary. Didn't have the original Damocles back in the day. And then by the time Mercenary Three came ar- around, it was a much more in depth game. I think much more complex game. And I think I just had my fill of of this game series by that point. Um, so I didn't get so much into Mercenary Three. And I was bitterly disappointed when we saw previews of a PC version with texture-mapped graphics. I think it was set to be published by Psygnosis. It looked really great. And then it was canned, so we never got to see what it could do um, on an up-to-date modern spec PC. But yeah, I did enjoy the open-world aspect of it and um, other games that I was playing at the same time because I started playing it a little bit later with things like Hunter, Midwinter, and of course, flight sims are very much open world. Not so much sandbox. And I think it's one of those sandbox and open world aspects come together that I get really hooked on these games. You know, um, I love games like The Incredible Machine, where you've got to solve little puzzles using the tools that are available to you. And there's no set way of doing it. If you can find a way to make that tennis ball bounce the way you need it to in, in an obscure and weird way, if it gets you to the end of the level, it works. And then when you combine that with an open world game like GTA, it's just the most fun gaming experience you can have. So I love open world. I love sandbox. Oddly, though, I never got into uh, Minecraft, (laughs) which combines those two. So um, I don't know why. I don't know why, but I do love those genres. And that the seed of that love probably started with Mercenary, for sure. I think it did. Um. Open plan kind of th- that style of game is something I've always, I've actually always struggled with, mainly because yeah. every time I've tried to do play one of these things, you know, I drop in and I just kind of go, so what do I do now? Yeah. 
yeah, explore, it's like, explore, exp- get lost. A bit explored for the point of for, for what purpose kind of kind of thing. Um, it does for the purpose of degree, forgetting yeah. real life. Um, <laughs> but I, I remember when, um, uh, like, everyone got into the disease that is World of Warcraft um, and they're like, come play, come play. And so I'm like, all right, it's fine. Yeah, all right. I'll sign up and create a character and stuff like that. And I dropped in and they're all like, they were off doing raids or whatever it's called, right? And I'm like, okay, so what do I do? It's like, oh, we're not going to help. Thanks. <laughs> I didn't last long. Um, but on this one in particular, um, I actually I went and Googled it. I did some research. Um, and it turns out it actually started on the Atari 8-bit. So just to nicely circle round of where we where we started this uh, this uh, podcast started on the uh, Atari eight bit, and it got me thinking: what was there's another Atari eight bit game that really kind of pushes the envelope of you kind of go, you can do that on an rescue 8-bit? on Fractalus, Fractalus, yes, and the Eidolon, yes, Lucas Arts, yep. mm. or yep. Lucas Film Games, I think they might have been back then, but yeah, Lucas Arts. Mm. Um, so yeah, um, Jason, so a, uh, just very quickly, of- Adrian Black, if you're listening, on the Atari, not <laughs> the Commodore the Atari. 64. Thanks, <laughs> Jason. Does your experience of World of Warcraft say more about the game or more about your circle of friends at the time? Do you think? <laughs> uh, I, I, th- I think it's a pretty. I think it goes fifty. I think that's a clear fifty-fifty. <laughs> um, I mean, look, I still know people who still play it. Like, how, side note, how long has that game been out for now? Uh, Does anybody actually know? That's not that's not the attack line to take on, on this show. Um, <laughs> all games are good. All games are fantastic. Um, but no, how long? Well, we're 2004. About open, open, November 2004. Yeah, it's nearly 20, 20 years. years old. Wow. Yeah. We'll, yeah. we'll be forced to discuss it as retro soon. <laughs> oh no! Yeah. Next year's show. <laughs> we're going to need to get younger presenters. Get your <laughs> Oh, Minecraft God. first appeared in 2009. So. Wow. so it's coming up in five years' time, but it'll be retro. No, it won't. Yeah. Chris, Chris, have you played Mercenary or Damocles or anything like that? I have indeed, and in fact, Mercenary, I did play to completion, um, but I didn't do the second city because um, it's actually a lot harder when you start off on the second city. Um, but I got it as part of the 10-star games pack day one that I bought my Amiga 500 um, in terms of mercenary, and even the ten star games pack version has both the Escape from Tog and the Second City. And I loaded it up a few times, like you do when you end up with a bundle of games, and you go, "Well, this is just a rubbish flight sim." Turn, reboot the Amiga, play something else like Thundercats, and then instantly regret that. Um, and it was one of those. It would have been one of those days when I'm just bored of everything in my collection. Right, watch I revisit and and actually try and get my head around. And mercenary, once I understood it better. I just loved it. I just loved the interaction and it became an obsession of, you know, when I should be doing my math homework, I'm using grid paper for nothing but drawing maps of the underground because a lot of it is underground exploration um, and just mapping out every single room where you have to pick up this, where you have to pick up that. Um, And even just the opening, you know, you crash down on the thing conveniently close to an airstrip and you've got a choice. Do you pay some money for the upturned paper aeroplane that is sitting on the um, the runway, or do you just steal it? And then if you steal it, you're instantly interested in combat. And even I can remember how I did the combat. I found, actually, if you just put this thing in reverse, 
you can be a lot more successful in terms of shooting the enemy ships and stuff like that. So yeah, I've played it, Dave. Yeah, this new version, I mean, I know we're running quite late today, but I think I'm just going to embrace that this is going to be a longer show. So I'm going <laughs> to carry on chatting about this, this new version. Um, I tried it this morning because I only saw the news this morning. So I tried it out. Visually, it's it's nice. It's high resolution, but authentic to the original. It does feel empty as a lot of these remakes do when you go back to them. Uh, and And that imagination gap that we've talked about in the past is missing. So what I think would really be nice about this, and um, maybe not with Jason's friends, but Jason can join us, is if they made this multiplayer and we could <gasps> revisit the game as it's presented in this new version. But, you know, Dave, Chris, Jason, and Ooh, I yeah. just kind of wandering around exploring it and go, okay, let's complete this game once and for all. Even if we use a playthrough, let's do it together and let's uh, let's enjoy that experience together. Nice big co-op. Yeah, yeah I'd be like up for that. that. Yeah. That'd yeah. be good. Yeah. Actually, just on a yeah. side note, I actually always preferred co-op games. Yeah, yeah. No idea why. I like co-op mm. games. I like co-op yeah. games. Um, so you can now go right ahead in the show notes to the website and download and play it. It's free to download. There is a donate button, of course, but it's free to download. Go ahead and do it and let yourself get lost in this city. Right, I'll take the last story today because, as we said at the start, we weren't expecting Chris, but uh, he's come along for the ride anyway. And um, uh, this story was submitted by AMS CPC 464 Thank you for sending this in. Great and it's titled, The Hottest Toys in the 1980s Argos Catalogue Are Back. Now, the word toys may have uh, made Jason sit up there because for those who can see the video, he is sat in front of an enormous toy collection um just tell us a few of the things you've got behind us uh, there jason um yeah there's uh most of it is um here we go oh we've gone wide frame gone Ooh. wide frame uh most of it is what you can see here is um modern uh but we do have uh some transformers uh star wars uh we've got some ninja turtles uh, over my right hand shoulder but you guys might recognize these ones here. Let me zoom back in. Action Man, are we seeing on that shelf? Yep. Action yep, Man. Is. And Pac Man. Yep. <laughs> oh, and a Pac Man. There's that too. But yes, uh, there's, there's some original vintage uh, Action Man up there as well. Nice. Because we so, got them here. Yeah. So that's that's one of your other obsessions then, as well as the retro computers, is the retro toys. And, My other um, expensive obsession. <laughs> and uh, being an Aussie, a real one, do you know what I'm talking <laughs> about when I talk about the Argos catalogue? I do, because okay. I watch a lot of YouTube. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and you guys keep talking about it. <laughs> okay. Well, it comes up semi-regularly, I should say. Yeah. Um, as far as I can understand, it's a like. Did they do like a big yearly pre-Christmas like catalog? So August, August is a high street about? high street store, but it's not a store yeah. that you would browse as normal. You would go in and you would just be presented with a row of catalogs, and you would go through the catalog. You'd take a slip and you would type in the number of the type in uh, right with a pen the number of the item you wanted to buy from the catalog. Take it to a counter. So the catalog we would refer to as the catalog of dreams. We would take our slip to the counter. They would tap it into the computer. And then down the conveyor belt of dreams would appear 
the item that you'd just asked for and they would hand it over to you. So essentially it was a big warehouse with a front end with a catalogue. That is the weirdest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> I, I, I tried to explain it to somebody over here, and they said, so basically it's all the bad bits of internet shopping and none of the convenience. And I was like, so, yeah. Which is, which is the strange thing, Chris, because Argos were perfectly placed for the internet revolution. Yes. And I, just, I feel like they did not grab it at all. They, just, they completely so missed a huge opportunity. They could have been the Amazon with a physical high street presence and a recognizable brand where you buy online and then you just walk into the shop, and buy, which you can do now, but it feels like they missed the big opportunity. Yeah. It was... I think it was their unique selling point. The idea was that you could go at home, choose what you wanted, walk into the shop and get it. Whereas a normal shop, you'd have to look at the shelves and it would have less stock. They had they had masses more stuff than what a normal shop would have because they had it all packed into this big warehouse at the back. It was great before the internet. So, so it was like a... I'm sorry. I'm still seriously trying to get my head around this. So it was yeah. like a, a, a like a home shopping catalog, except you had to go and get it. Yes. You, yes. It was right thick, though. I mean, it was it was really thick. It had I don't know three hundred and fifty pages or something in it. There was all sorts in it, all sorts, and it, it was all in your local store. As far as I know, it was all in your local store. You would go there, write your slip in a bit of paper, and they would bring it out of the back for you. Yeah, Chris. great. They, right. they, they even did jewellery. This is a confession, right? My wedding, rings, my wedding rings came from Argos. Oh, there we go. <laughs> the Elizabeth Duke special. Yeah, you, you could you could take the uh, Argos catalogue at home as well, Jason. So you could you could circle the things that you wanted for Christmas and show it to your parents. And then they would have to go into See, the that store. I, that, that, so. bit, that bit I get. But the whole walking up and getting... No, sorry. <laughs> well, we've done our best to explain. Yeah, honestly, it was great. No, 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 no I get great. it. I just don't get it. <laughs> get it. Okay. Well, let's bring it back around to the, the actual story for this section, which was uh, uh, published in national newspaper, The Guardian. It talks about the return of tabletop arcade games. So it, this, this article gets nostalgic about Nintendo's Game & Watch series. Things like Astro Wars, Caveman, Munchman, all those devices that were low-cost alternatives to buying a console or a microcomputer back in the day and aim to give you an arcade-like experience using very limited technology such as LEDs and vacuum fluorescent displays. Sometimes successfully, sometimes absolutely dreadfully offering both a sad gaming session and a clip around the ear from your mum for the incessant beeps that came with no volume control on most of these things. In the UK, we saw names like Grandstand, Tomy, Epoch, and Bandai. In the US, it was Coleco and Entex, and many more besides. And I know that there's a lot of fondness for these games by people. Um, I know it only worked too well because we have a tabletop games section at the cave, and people absolutely love them. They go all gooey-eyed. It's the first thing that they see when they come into the cave. And um, yeah, I like seeing the reaction that people have to them. People either owned them or their friend would bring them into school on the last day of school where they would get to have a go on them. They would look at them in the Argos catalogue, which is why we were talking about that earlier, knowing full well that a Tiger Games Street Fighter 2 could in no way possibly be as good as a real arcade machine, but for some reason still wanting it. 
The key was that they were low cost and offered an approximation of the arcade experiences, which is where the Guardian article takes a bit of a twist because it begins to compare this experience with that of the new tabletop sized games, but not really in the spirit of the originals. So let me give you an example. The, the Neo Geo Mini and the Sega Astro City Mini uh, are quoted in this article. And, and Astro City will set you back about £170 today. And the Neo Geo Mini, I, I'm not sure you can still get new, but you can certainly get it used for about £70 on eBay. So then they're not cheap alternatives to, for example, a retro pie, if you can get hold of a pie. But I think we all know that full well and are buying as much into the aesthetics of the thing as anything else. And it's the fact that they have a screen built into them, into this tabletop form factor. And it's not just a system like an A500 Mini or a Pi that needs to be plugged into something else. It's the fact that it's an all-in-one tabletop thing that draws those comparisons with the far simpler tabletop games of old. So um, let's talk about these these games of old, the Astro Wars, the, the Caveman, all of the others, Jason. What's your background with these types of games? And have you read the article? What's your thoughts on that? Um, I only had a quick glance at the article. Uh, I do remember the types of machines you are talking about. I remember Dick Smith and Tandy selling kind of semi-knockoff-y kind of ones. Um, my problem at the time was that we had a computer. We had a Sega Master System. And Sega. <laughs> we... <laughs> We, um, the problem is I'd see these things and Duncan, you're going to have to bleep this out. I kind of thought they were a bit. <laughs> we all shit. did. We all did. Yeah. They were just, they were just kind of garbage. I mean, and I didn't even like, I've got, hang on a minute. So I've got, here we go. Like these guys. Mm. Right? Okay. So Jason's. But I got, the, look, the I got these as something cool to sit on the shelf. Um, Playing the original ones of these was not a great experience, even like the proper Nintendo ones. And I know I'm going to get slaughtered for that from like all the Nintendo fanboys out there, but it just wasn't that good. Wow. Mm. Jason's telling it like it is. I mean, I, I think... I think perhaps I was more full of hope and uh, more impressionable at the time because I would see these and I would know full well that the outrun lcd game was going to be nothing like the outrun arcade game but i wanted it to be good <laughs> i wanted to try it i wanted to see if it could just capture Better than some the of that excitement um but uh yeah you are going to get some criticism for the for knocking the nintendo game a watch because i think across the spectrum of these types of games i think those are actually probably the more playable and enjoyable ones oh i'll, I'll grant yeah. that dave I want to talk about the Argos catalogue. I loved the Argos catalogue. I really, really loved it. In fact, so much so that I wish I wish that Amazon would pick an old Amazon catalogue up and get inspired by it to work out how to make their, their website function properly. Um, a little bit of a rant for me here, but when you do a search on Amazon for something, it doesn't show up just the things that match your results, it show up, shows up things that it thinks might match. So if you search for, search for dimmable LED bulbs, it will show you non-dimmable bulbs. And there's no way that I can see to get it filtered out. Whereas with the Argos catalog, it was nice and simple. It was great. If it wasn't the catalog, then I didn't know about it. Neil? 
I was searching on Amazon just last week for some lighting that I needed. So lighting just by coincidence. And I would click on a few products and look at them and say, no, that's not for me. I'll go back and do another search. But every time I then search for lighting, it would keep putting to the top the products I'd already clicked on to try and force me to, to buy them when I already had dismissed them. It's like, I don't want them. Show me new stuff. It's yeah. so frustrating. So frustrating. Yeah. I, I, it's just, I like It's just that. Amazon going, no, 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 no. <laughs> You you really want those ones. <laughs> yeah, it's murder, murder. I don't know how to explain it any better to you, Jason, but over in the UK, it worked really well. We loved it. I also Jason, loved other Jason, things. Hang on, Jason. It was laminated. Ooh. Yeah, in the shop it was, yeah. 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 In the UK, I also loved other things, like the Citadel Miniatures catalogue. And also, you remember... Special Reserve on the Home Computer Club, which were, I'm sure they'd be an Australian equivalent. You signed up to these and you got discounts on games. And with the Home Computer Club, you had to buy a game every two months. But I loved looking through the magazine, the, the kind of the catalogue for that as well. I really miss that these days. And I wish websites were more like catalogues now uh, for shopping rather than what they are just now. Uh, but as a kid, I had the Grandstand Scramble and it was great. It really was great. There were several modes in it. Uh, you went through the game. Uh, I played it loads, and eventually th they had the difficulty just right and the gameplay just right because eventually I managed to get HHH on the score, which means you'd roll it over, and it took me a long time to get to that skill level. Maybe maybe that's not – people in the comments will tell me that's not very difficult, but for me as a kid it was. Uh, my brother had the, the 3D, the, 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 the grandstand, the yellow – Munchman, I think it was called. That's right. Nothing like as good. Yeah, nothing like as good. But I loved the Grandstand Scramble. I think the Scramble was in the same form factor as the Caveman, wasn't it? It was like a rectangular screen with a little bit that jutted out at the bottom. Was I'm it red? I'm not sure if I know Caveman well enough to say. No, it was black. Hmm. I'll have to look that one up and check. Now, I'd like to actually correct myself a little about the game and watch. And watch me now. <laughs> kind of right, kiss the ass of Nintendo fanboys everywhere, is that I understand that, yeah, these were good, but as soon as the Game Boy came out, I think that was the real turning point. Oh, of course. was a huge bit of time. I mean, you're, talking like, you're talking eight years or something. Yeah. Maybe longer yeah. between them. Yeah. Chris, as a fake Australian, when you moved over there, did you come across anything at all that resembled the Argos approach or have you not seen anything like that over there? Yes and no. Um, and let's face it, it wasn't just Argos. There was a couple of others, but their names escaped me in the UK I'm talking about now. But there was also Miller Freeman where you could order the stuff and pay it in weekly installments. It cost more and then it would come in the post. So there was that way of doing it as well. But same thing, flicking through a massive catalogue. Um, but what yeah, I did have... A, that's more of a traditional catalogue setup, isn't it? Yeah, you get the catalogue, yeah. like Freeman's or um, what were some of the... Grattan's, the Grattan's catalogue. Yeah, that's right. Like yeah. That. yeah. But, 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 but moving Literally. over here, what I did find moving over here was, which I, I, I dare say I didn't experience in the UK, was the high street stores filling your mailbox with catalogues. So like your Target, your Kmart, your Big W, your... Grace Brothers, Myers. Yeah, your super cheap yeah. auto, your auto one, whatever. So yeah. even to this day, Neil, there is not 
there's not a gap in the catalog market let's put it that way because literally <laughs> right. my you know you come home and depending on who's gone past the mailbox on the way into into the house you get a bundle yes you like get a this. bundle <laughs> yeah. wow and you can flick through to your heart's content it's a fantastic experience so um but yeah no i, I can't say i've come across anything that's exactly like argos anywhere else in the world it's yeah a unique shopping experience hmm. shall we put it that way and in terms but of table i do remember though Go on, sorry the, i do remember though the catalog that i always look forward to was so in sydney back in the 80s there was two big independent game retailers the gamesmen and the games wizards i don't know what actually ever happened to the games wizards but the gamesmen specifically produced this i think they came out quarterly this the catalog and you could obviously you could sign up to get it sent to you that kind of thing and it was just everything like it would have uh, even by the late late 80s it had everything from like ancient old 2600 stuff through to the latest mega drive things that were coming out um, and everything in between and machines that you'd never heard of, like from NEC and things like that. So for me at least, that was that was the catalogue that I always look forward to. Are those remembered fondly? Because you can find PDF versions of the Argos catalogue and you can see people from time to time stream just flicking through the Argos catalogue mm. uh, and, and recounting Russians their memories. So, so um, yeah, so it's a big cultural thing. Oh, yeah, when I went back in out. 2019, because they still do a Christmas special catalogue that you can pick up and take home. That's one of the things I brought back to Australia with me. I still got it in the cupboard. Um, I mean, now, obviously, there's not retro right now. This is 2019, but I look forward to flicking through that again in a few years. Love it. This is very much an honest cultural thing that happened in the UK, but it's just dawned on me we could make up some bizarre cultural stuff with some of our uh, guests from around the world and just <laughs> oh, insist that yeah. it's free. How good know? would that be? <laughs> just as a quick side note, if anyone ever wants to check this out, I just did a quick Google. The Gamesman actually still holds an archive of their catalogues going back to 1982 oh, on their website. Fantastic. Yeah. That's kind of cool. That is cool. That's very cool, yeah. Chris, let's, let's go back to tabletop games specifically. Do you have any fond memories of these types of games? I do, and I, and I remember wanting them. They're, again, one of those things that my friends had and I didn't. So if I went around the house, I would just hog it and run their batteries flat, you know. Um, I loved it. But it was a re for me, those memories are around, you know, the 8-bit era, maybe even before we got our Electron. Um, so I didn't really have, apart from the Philips G7000 once we got that, I didn't have much of a gaming experience in my own house. Yeah, and, and Jason makes a good point by raising the, the Game Boy earlier. This was pre-Game Boy, so this was our first experiences of portable gaming, portable electronic yeah. gaming. So that in itself felt novel, mm. Yeah. And, and I mean, um, you know, I had to pick this up off the shelf when um, Jason was knocking the Game & Watch. It was actually my sister that had the, the original Donkey Kong, and I've got one here with me, the, the dual, you know, the dual screen Game & Watch Donkey Kong. And instantly, if I hold this, this isn't her original. This one was given to me a few years back. Um, but it takes me back to a very specific summer holiday in Norfolk where I, again, hogged this, stole it off my sister, and completed the first screen for the first time. And then once I worked out how you actually play the game properly, I just sat there for hours on end just going looping over and over again, you know, um, defeating um, Donkey Kong at the top. 
Um, and just, you know, that was it. That was all, if, you, if that's all you had access to and the batteries lasted for frigging ages, you enjoyed it. You know, it was it was fantastic fun. Um, and the other one that I really enjoyed, and we only had two of them in our in our household, was the Tomitronic ones. I don't know if you remember those, where you'd actually hold them up to your eyes and it would oh, be 3D. Yeah. They were fantastic. So I had the Star Wars ripoff one. Can't remember the name of it. Um, and my sister had the one with the tanks. with I, I call it the Tron ripoff. Um, so I had the blue one. She had the red one. Um, and I, I swear I need to pick up those again because I thought they were a fantastic experience. Yeah, we have the full set of them at the cave. Um, nice. And they've got they've got a little window in the top, so you would have to stand sometimes under a light to make yes. sure you got enough light into the game to play it. Yeah, because that's how it lit, did the backlighting. Yeah. That's right. But on, on yeah. the subject of all these old toys and stuff, just just while Jason's here, I had to throw in a link. I've put it in the show notes because we don't have time to talk about it today. But there's some footage that's emerged on YouTube. It looks like it's USA Channel Seven B roll. And it's just them looking for people to interview in a Toys R Us store in late 70s, early 80s, because it's when Empire Strikes Back's about to come out. And it's just going through all the Star Wars toys. And it's one of those experiences you watch it and you feel like you could reach in and buy something off the shelf. It's amazing footage. So do do yeah. look that up. But especially those American retailers, it's just it's mind-boggling the amount of stock yeah. each store would have. Yeah on the shelf almost as much as an argos store um, <laughs> there's a question the, the argos store the was because you couldn't see it it was infinite yeah. in your mind it went yeah. on forever yeah. it was like a nuclear bunker under the store just full <laughs> yeah I, I do have a question and i'm meaning, meaning to ask someone about it that knows and i think jason you'll know the answer to this i remember getting star wars figures as a kid and there was a specific smell that they had is that smell a thing? Do, do you do you collectors talk about that smell? It's the smell of a Does back of a, a lorry. <laughs> when Dave got his. <laughs> well, I can report that they don't smell anymore. What about taste? Right. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I do. I think I know what you mean. No. I think I know what you mean, though, because modern toys have a certain smell about them as well. Oh, no, this, 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 is, this is in the 80s when I got, this is when I got Star Wars figures. Used to go to the supermarket. And, mom, 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 <laughs> mom, have I been good, mom? Have I been good? Mom, mom. <laughs> it wasn't just yeah, me. That, those kind of toys. Yeah, obviously, yeah, I all of us. I used to do that too, and it smelled like pain. Shut up, Jason. <laughs> I, I know exactly what you're talking about, Dave. Because I, if they moved the the toy, the shop layout, I could sniff out the Star Wars toys. I'm not even joking. What is wrong I with you? I could literally sniff out the Star Wars toys. There's a very specific smell to the plastic. It's 100% a smell. Know what you're talking about? Yeah. Okay, totally. so there's no there's no connection between the smell of a big box game and the inky manuals and the smell of one of these toys back in the day for you, is there? No, this is a Definitely brand new smell. plastic smell. Okay. Open, open that up. Open that up and smell Would it. Would you like me to find it? Oh, yes. no, don't, don't open it. No, don't, don't open it. Hey, don't. Uh, this one's truly trashed. I probably could, but yeah. Okay, I'll <laughs> Jason's just held up everything. I thought you might know that. Someone will, someone will add a comment explaining what the smell is, what what, what yep. the cause of it is, what and that you can get it on spray now on your eBay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you'll notice we've talked about um, everything but the article, really, in this segment, because there's, there's not a lot to pick apart from the article other than they are comparing modern things like the, the mini Astro City and the Neo Geo Mini to a very different type of technology aimed, I think, um, 
a very different market. Um, these new ones are aimed at perhaps middle-aged nostalgia fans like us who have got a some disposable income those older ones those older tabletop games were very much aimed at people who perhaps couldn't afford a console or um, a, a microcomputer as a christmas present and uh, many people as i see from the reactions of them who come in the cave are very grateful for the fact that they got them and have great nostalgic memories for them but prompted by this article i did look up a little yellow handheld game that i used to have um well no sorry i didn't have it a friend had it and used to bring it into school and it was called bmx flyer it was a very yellow thing. I don't know if any of you remember this. Very much like the game Kickstarts, where you'd have the side view of a bicycle going along and a train would scroll along with various obstacles you had to jump over and whatnot. Like At the height Ninja of the Scooter BMX Simulator. trend. Like Ninja Scooter Simulator, Dave, yeah. Um <laughs> I also had my new BMX at the time, very much at the height of BMXing and going down to the um, the, 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 um, the BMX course down at my local park and things like that. So um, great memories of this, triggered lots of nostalgic memories looking at this. I also, my, my, my gameplay on it was very much rationed to the very last day of school when you were allowed to bring your games in. This is when I got to see my friend bring this game in and I wanted to play more of it. So um, I looked it up. And I found on eBay a boxed mint one is currently listed at £800. Yeah, there's also one for £400, £350. There's one for spares or repairs at £125. In fact, there's no shortage of them on eBay. There's lots of them, but they're all asking for crazy prices. So I don't quite know how there is the supply and the demand uh, is somehow not met by all of those. So the prices are so high. I don't know, but people are trying to get those prices. Um yeah, so I thought, okay, I will just relive the experience instead by picking up an Argos catalog. 1985 Argos catalog, you used to take them home for free from the store. There's one on eBay right now, listed with a starting bid of £79.95. <laughs> <laughs> Nostalgia ain't cheap. Time now for our community question of the week. And if you'd like to take part, head over to reddit.com forward slash r forward slash this week in retro, where you can see the current question of the week is pinned and you can answer. And you can also submit news stories that you might like us to consider to uh, talk about in the show. Um, and another link that I don't think we mentioned earlier, Dave, was if you want to support the show, you can head over to patreon.com or patreon.com, as Dave calls it, forward slash this week in retro. And you can join our, our growing list of twirlers who help us to, uh, I wouldn't say make the show possible because we do this out of love, but um, to support the show. And um, who knows where your support may take us next. We, we do appreciate it very much. Thank you. So last week's community question of the week, we talked about recreating some art from an early build of an art package which had no save function. This was the burger image, wasn't it? The pixelated burger image from the uh, early days of the Amiga or the Amiga 1000. The only recorded images of it were photos taken of the screen because the software at the time had no save function. Now, we want to know if you've ever recreated anything that you made back in the day and perhaps lost, didn't manage to save, or maybe you only had a photo of. So um, is there something that you made that you would like future generations to discover? Why not include some pictures and we can show them off? That was the question that was posed. So uh, Dave, do you want to go with the first answer, the top answer? Yeah. So it's from Ponder65, and he says, yes, with an exclamation mark. Um, I wrote a port of the Spectrum Graham cruising on Broadway for the VIC-20. Setup was in BASIC, but the game itself was in machine code, which I did the hard way, in bits and brackets, in paper, convert opcode to numbers to enter in data statements. 
and I didn't even understand the carry flag, but it worked. A few years ago, I decided to redo this in full machine code on the C64, and he says this is the result, and he's got a link to his itch.io page on it. Uh, cruising on Broadway, he says 100% free. I don't have an account that takes payment, and he's even put the source code there and linked to his own website for it. So we'll put that in the show notes. Uh, I haven't I haven't looked at it now. I haven't had a chance to look at it. It looks a fairly simple game. Um, is it a bit like, is that quicks? Is that is that is it like that or is well, it a I can't tell if they're drawing or... the lines in the screenshot or following the racetrack. I'm not I'm not sure what's going on there. We'd have to play it to find out, I think. It's a mystery. I have to I have to play it to find out. There you go. There we go. Uh, our next answer came from Salem OK. He says, not sure if it qualifies, but during the lockdown, uh, I learned more about AI, which led me to learn Python, which led me to discover the Pygame library and the idea of coding a remake of the Atari ST port of Super Sprint in Python. I, I don't know why they chose the Atari ST port specifically uh, and not the arcade version to, to, to write in Python, but there we go. Obviously inspired by the ST, as we all are, Dave, inspired by the ST. Um, they wanted Wonderful to prove that, that they could still code and wanted to write a game and finish it off for once in their life. Being unwilling and unable, unable to dis disassemble the original code, they studied the game frame by frame, ripped all the assets pixel by pixel, and found it to be an incredibly rewarding journey. With all the little details the original programmers had put in, like casting shadows on the cars, which I probably never noticed as a kid. So I'll just skim read now because it's it's quite a long answer, but they, they went through rebuilding all the, the logic, the physics, the gameplay, made it feel exactly like the original game, uh, and then also went on to make some improvements like adding simultaneous four-player gaming. Um, I think the arcade was only three. There were three steering wheels, weren't there? And then uh, there was always an, uh, an AI car to race against because that's the way it would use up your credit. It would kick beat you, you and kick yeah. you out the game. <laughs> Um, the game runs on Mac, Windows, Linux, and there is a link there, which I will ask Duncan to put in the show notes as well, um, to the GitHub where you can download that game and play it. So, um, yeah, I guess a recreation of a game they, they loved, not a game they made back in the day, but I think that's a valid answer. Um, Jason, Pajaco6502 is the next answer. Do you want to read that one out for us? Uh, yeah, a, uh, a short little answer, but I quite liked it. Uh, the, uh, the basic version is they'd like to get back all their uh, uh, pirated um, uh, disc labels that they made in deluxe paint back in the day. Um, says they, they weren't masterpieces by a long stretch, but a bunch of my favourite games had hours of work done on them all. And I think that's kind of cool. I've actually been known to do label recreations and stuff myself for damaged labels or whatever yeah. it happens to be so yeah i know that's I, like uh, that. I know that's something dave's done as well but that's in the present day i i didn't go to all that effort back in the day back in the day it was no big biro yeah. you know scribble out the last name on the disc or, or, or slap another label over the top or take a cover disc exactly. and yes. uh stick a label over a cover and disc it. and overwrite it yeah yeah, yep. I was not precious about my labels. But, um, yeah, Pajaco certainly was. And then uh, finally... Actually, I was terrible with my labels, <laughs> and I still am. <laughs> and as there's four of us, Chris, do you want to read out a fourth answer from Starcade there? Oh, yeah, okay. okay. Starcade 2084, pre-2000, back when mp3.com was a collective of musicians who could upload their music for others to stream, download, and buy via multimedia CDs. I briefly fancied myself as a musician using Acid Pro to create music using various loops. 
They had an EP for sale. Its name escapes me now under the band name Brad and Zipgun. Brap. A friend of mine. Brap and Zipgun. Brap. Brap. Oh, sorry. It's not I like rap. that name. Brap and Zipgun. Brap and Zipgun. Yep. A friend of mine who I've lost touch with over the years purchased a CD. I didn't even buy one myself. <laughs> <laughs> And somewhere, if he still has it, is the only record that ever existed. Um, I haven't been able to find the page via the Wayback Machine. Maybe I'm missing a search trick there. The music wasn't brilliant by any means, but it was mine, and I love to be able to hear it again. Oh, that would be fantastic. Yeah, somebody's got to find that for him. Wonderful, yeah. Yeah. Um, I can't believe you can't even remember the name of the album. I mean, that would be scorched into my brain if i'd ever got to the point of releasing an album that's such a cool thing to do um thank you everyone who took part in the question of the week and the next question will be pinned it's a nice simple one uh, whether you remember the argos catalog or not let's let's just think of catalogs in general christmas is coming up there's a catalog at home you're sat um cross-legged on the on the floor in front of the fireplace maybe uh, thinking about what you want for Christmas and drawing circles around things with your pen to show your parents in the catalogue. What is it that you're putting circles around in, uh, let's not put a time frame on it, just your childhood. You might have been a child of the 80s, the 70s, the 90s, whatever it is. What are you drawing circles around in the catalogue and hoping that you'll get for Christmas? Did you get it or were you sorely disappointed? Um, let us know your answer over at reddit.com forward slash r forward slash this week in retro. Do check out Mr. Lurch, Mr. Lurch's things on YouTube. Give him a big This Week in Retro hug and a subscription. Is it all YouTube or can we find you elsewhere, Mr. Lurch? Uh, you can find me on uh, Twitter. Uh, I'm also on Facebook. And I occasionally remember to post things to Instagram. There you go. You can find him everywhere. Um, coming soon on TikTok, no doubt. Uh, Chris, we're glad you made it. Dave, <laughs> Nice to see you again. And uh, I think we are away next week, aren't we? Is that right? Um, right. Let me check the schedule. I think we may be away Um, this week, which is another excuse for getting away with a, a, you know, a double length show this week, a bumper episode. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, There we go. So we'll be back in in, in two weeks time. Um, Yes. Take care, everyone. And um, lots of time to answer the question of the week. So we look forward to seeing you in there and we'll see you next time. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 This Week in Retro was presented by Neil from RMC The Cave, Chris from 005 Agema, and Dave. It was produced by me, Duncan Styles. The podcast version of the show is available through your favourite podcaster, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And the video version is available on the This Week in Retro YouTube channel. Join our community subreddit at r slash thisweekinretro to suggest and vote on the stories we cover on the show. If you watch This Week in Retro on YouTube, please give us a like and subscribe to help us reach new viewers. If you enjoy our show and would like to support it, then please check out the link to our Patreon page in the show notes or description. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time for more up-to-date news for out-of-date tech.